All right. Hey, guys. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Board Game Triangle. Uh, we appreciate your patience with us, but we're here with the second part of our Games We Like in Different Categories uh, series. Um, so I'm Sarah, one of your hosts. I'm here with my co-hosts. Hi, this is Ken. And it's Tim. And, you know, I've been telling us we got to record these ahead of time because otherwise... This, this is how they get missed, you know? If we if we just had a big backlog that we could just publish whenever we... <laughs> I'm you getting desk right now because I'm definitely <laughs> not that person. And I was, in fact, advocating the opposite. So You know, you Kim, know... Kim was very worried that you're going to miss out on our cutting-edge news about board games that we were going to deliver you uh, about current current uh, Kickstarters and recent released games and, 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 and the cutting the cutting-edge breaking news on board games that every all of our listeners are are hungry for <laughs> i think i think they are you know they don't know how hungry they could be for it because they're not getting it okay that's the problem so so tim is going to deliver for us as, a, as an opening segment here the cutting edge news on board games what's what's going on today in board game uh, news, Tim? You, you know my stack of papers they're they're <laughs> they're a little dis- disheveled because we're running a little late um but <laughs> just just rest assured audience it's coming it's coming there are there are things that happened today in board game news, and we're not going to tell you about them because we don't know. Yeah, yeah we could talk about all the kerfuffles that are going on, on on the BGG forums right now. You know, where you know one person calls another a snowflake, and then they get banned, and you know all the typical musings on BGG. In case you're missing the context clues, then you know. So it turns out that you should have a backlog of podcast episodes because things happen. People get COVID people's family members pass away and it messes with your schedule. So we appreciate you coming in. If you're, if you're following us in real time and not listening to this all in, in one binge, (laughs) um, we do apologize for being a little bit late on this episode. Uh, but yeah, if you're binging, uh, they're all on time, and we didn't miss anything, and I don't know what you're talking about. And we're amazing. And it's Literally definitely definitely Tim's fault. <laughs> right? you know that is universally true, regardless of when you're listening. So that's fair. That's fair. So in, in case you're not binging, and maybe it's been a while since you listened to our backlog of episodes, last time we were talking about this topic, we uh, already covered like role-playing games, social deduction games, and worker placement games. So we're going to move on to some different categories in this episode uh, and talk about things like deck builder and drafting games, bag builders, and co-op games, maybe some others. If we have time, we'll see if we get there. Um, But we're probably also going to be continuing to pull up board game geek ratings and categories for these to see if they match what kind of what we're talking about as we go along kind of as our little sidebar. Probably a good idea. I mean, I imagine, you know, Ken and I are very, very timely and we never let a conversation run long. So there's no way this is going to continue on to two separate episodes. Yeah. Wait, actually, before we go <laughs> on to the episode itself, I just want to share. I like had this touching moment. One of my long term professional mentors, who is like one of the nicest people I've ever met and is just a, a fantastic person, uh, I was talking to him and he said, I listened to your podcast, which one already a heartwarming moment. But then he was like, But I really loved what you said about Dice Forge. So I bought it. 
That is so so sweet. We're officially influencers. And, um, you know, it was just really nice. That's uh, incredible that that. our one listener went out and bought a board game after. (laughs) So that's who that mystery person is. All right. Yeah. You know, so ads, ad people come at us. (laughs) We have the power. To influence really, really nice people. We can sell up to one copy of your of your product. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna uh, actually I will finish that story. So <laughs> he looked at the uh instructions and watched some videos and decided it was a little bit beyond what he wanted at his his like intro to harder games, and he did send it back. <laughs> I have. Ouch. I was saying in our intro session that I did not recommend Dice Forge as a first-time board game. You guys were thinking, "Oh yeah, it's a great intro game." No, hold on, I, I want to <laughs> caveat that a little bit here, or I want to combat that a tiny bit because I think if you're trying to learn it by yourself, it yeah. probably could be a little intimidating. If you had someone teach it to you, I don't think it's too bad. But yeah, if no, you were I, just like, you know, in a vacuum, you know, and you hadn't really experienced any other board games like it, looking at that rule book and just kind of looking at all the various components and such, I could see you getting a little overwhelmed. And I think Sarah briefly mentioned this story to me before as well. And I think part of the problem also is, you know, trying to teach it to kids. That also might be a little difficult. Yeah, yeah. He he also does have two younger kids, not young mm-hmm. kids, but like younger. Mm-hmm. So I think maybe it was a little bit beyond what he was hoping to teach himself and then have to teach them as well. So I mean, that's pretty understandable. Yeah. The game that I really uh, was surprised that a a friend of mine had bought for his family to teach his children was, uh, uh, I totally blanked out what I was, uh, what I was going to talk about there, but I'll come, it'll it'll come to me later. I'll mention it later here, but yeah. Can remember who you are. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So teaching kids board games also historically pretty hard. Uh, played a lot of Candyland this weekend uh, while I was visiting home. Candyland. Oh man, that's a blast from the past. Yeah. Candyland with my, her birthday is today, four-year-old niece. So happy birthday, Olivia. She's the, not the most graceful <laughs> loser at Candyland. But uh, are any children really? That's it's definitely a learned skill. You know, I will say I did win a game or two. So, mm. well, that's your board game experience really coming into play. You know, you're you're able to really extrapolate and think several turns ahead. Yeah, I got really lucky with like a a candy. I, I got really lucky with an ice cream cone pull early in game one. So you know, nice. I regained my train of thought. Game that he was he had bought to teach his children was Root. Oh, oh my yes. god! Yes. And so that was the one where I was telling him, like, um, yeah, that's a problem because you're going to have to teach each child a separate set of rules. You know, he was he he, he did not had not played root before himself. He thought, oh, it's it's cute. It's got cute animal stuff. It's got cute themes. Like it's gorgeous. Man, the amount of times those cute animals have completely just you know deceived people into in, alluring them and just completely making them feel like, oh, it's going to be so easy. Look at how adorable it is. It can't be that difficult. And you know. The, the animals are cutting each other's throats in the background, you know, like it's, it's not a, it's not a kind, simple game by any nope, means. But yeah, I, I don't think he ever managed to teach his kids to play Root. He had it for quite a while and it kept, oh yeah, I'm going to do it sometime. Good luck. <laughs> I haven't even wanted to devote the time to learn it. It's a fully asymmetric game. And not lightly, like every faction has a different way to win the game. Like it completely 
completely segmented off from the way that other other factions exactly. win the game. Yep. It's very, very difficult. So yeah, maybe we need to have a, a future episode about kids and board games and what games we're gonna are... need a guess we're gonna need a guess for that one because we yeah. are all little childless we spend all of our money on our dogs okay this or is birds true. if i could teach my dogs how to play a board game that'd be awesome <laughs> maybe we should just that's a podcast episode <laughs> maybe we just create a dog dogs. board game dog board <laughs> game i see it in our future it's gonna be a hit people would love it all right other, so... than, other than dog park other no dog park apparently is not very good according to Tim's dad. <laughs> That's right. If if that made it into the episode, rip. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we did lose some audio on that one. Uh, All right, so bit. let's let's quit dilly dallying and get into this. Oh, we had a topic. Yeah, oh, no, we we, topic. we do actually have a topic. So we're gonna go through some different categories and talk about our favorite games in those categories. And our first one here is gonna be deck builder or drafting kinds of games. So like, what are we talking about when we talk about deck builder? So with deck builder games, we're generally talking a game that you uh, start the game with a relatively simple set of, of cards and, and build a more complex deck uh, as you go. Uh, deck builders can be something like, you know, a collectible card game like magic, but more, more generally in, in, the, in the current age when we're talking about deck builders, we're talking about something that, um, over the course of a single game, you end up building a deck that has intertwining powers or capabilities that allow you to build some kind of an engine or some kind of a, of a spe- special abilities through having multiple cards that, 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 that play off of each other. So I think in this genre, like again, Magic was one of the first ones that really started this kind of idea. The first one really, I think, pushed the... Uh, buy a box and build your decks uh, as you play would be uh, would be Dominion, which I, I definitely would say is classic. And I, I think, as I mentioned before, uh, when I first got Dominion as one of my first games, after I started having a, a bigger circle of board gaming friends, um, I resented any other game I played for probably a good six months after uh, after getting Dominion. With Dominion, you you know you, you start out each round, you set out uh, 10, 10 piles of cards, and those cards then are the store that you use to buy for the rest of the game, and so. Even as a relatively new player, you can often be able to see correlations between those cards that maybe maybe a more advanced player hasn't seen. Uh, at this point, I've played enough Dominion that I'm probably going to be able to see most possible correlations. But you have to play a very large amount of Dominion with, you know, there's 12, 15 different sets that you can have. And each of those sets has, you know, 30 or 40 different uh, possible things. So when you're creating a, a store there, it gives you a lot of different permutations to be able to build that deck and and, and do that. So, so Ken, with I'm curious with Dominion, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> how um, how well does it hold up in comparison to some more modern ones? Because obviously it was kind of the first of its kind, but I'm wondering if it's almost it's almost too pure in its nature of just being a, a deck builder, and other things have pretty much done a similar thing, but added enough other complexities to it that make them inherently just more interesting. Or do you think it stands? It stands on its own still. So dur- during lockdown, uh, me and a, and a fairly significant group of friends uh, would go and play Dominion on the Dominion.games uh, website, and whoever was available in a given night would get on and play. And we play any given night. We'd play 10, 12 different rounds of Dominion. Like, and with with the the website, it was really fast to get everything set up and and, and running. And we had you know we had lots of people who who got, came into the game and started playing it for the first time over uh, over that period. I mean it was 
definitely a different time uh, when everyone was looking for something to do on a, on a given night. But it was also a, a game where yeah, we, we'd get, you know, two, three different tables of, of players going at once uh, based on who would show up on a given night and, and just play the game. So I, I do think it can hold up. I do think that, you know, as a, as a purely card game thing, like I have myself started running out a little bit on it, which is, you know, why even though I have, have it, I haven't brought over to, you know, host and play with, uh, with, with Tim or Sarah yet because having played it hundreds of times <laughs> during lockdown, I, I do feel like I've started finally getting, uh, getting a little bit past my, my, my primary appeal and primary draw to it. But I did play a lot, a lot of Dominion over, uh, over lockdown. And the, what really sure. gives you that ability is that each box set of it does introduce new mechanics, new rules, uh, cards that have different kinds of text and things that do different things. So it is it is a very pure form of it. But I, I do I do still think it's it's something that if, if someone hasn't played it, I definitely would recommend just go go to Dominion.games and play it online a, a few few iterations or, or or find somebody who's got a you know got some box sets and and pull it out once sometime. But yeah. Yeah, I can't say that I've really, there's not a lot of deck builders overall that I can think of off the top of my head that I particularly enjoy. Not to say that I don't enjoy them, yep. but I don't have a, a large collection of deck builders. And it also, but there is kind of a similar theme that is captured by deck builders that is also captured by other genres of games. Because right. you have just drafting in general, which, you know, is a fairly common mm-hmm. game mechanic, but it Usually deck builders can also kind of capture that idea of like, you know, you're trying to find something to add to your very limited set of things. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking uh, also of like bag builders, for example. Yep. They they kind of, they just kind of surface the same idea, but in a in a different way. Uh, so you also have things like Wonderland's War or Quacks of Quedlinburg, which is, you know, you're trying to build your own sophisticated set of things. Also with deck building, you want to remove certain components maybe like, or remove bad cards from your deck or, you know, suboptimal cards from your deck. And I, in general, really enjoy that aspect of really fine tuning. And I think bag builders really, really emphasize that. So I super enjoy Quacks of Kludlenburg. Or if you're looking for something that is a lot more strategic, I mentioned Wonderland's War, which is an Alice in Wonderland themed board game. I only played it once, but that one playthrough was incredible. I loved how sophisticated all the different elements were were going on there. You were not only building a bag, but you also had an area control element to it as well, where you were basically moving your moving different characters around, and those characters had powers that then you could influence certain areas in different ways. Um, and you could uh, basically build your bag in order to augment how that all played out. And that game is phenomenal. I'm not sure how easy it is to get though. I was actually just looking it up on Board Game Geek, and apparently it's really hard to get copies of it. And they actually have a pre-order. Look, hot news, hot news right now, baby! It's coming. All right, <laughs> so there you could actually do a pre-order on the publisher's website for like the complete set of it right now. So if you're ever interested in that game, this is probably the chance to get it. So keep an eye out for that. Well, it's a really good thing we didn't record this three weeks ago before Tim would have that information. Exactly. Our- now you can get it before it's <laughs> before it's gone. All right. You're welcome. You're welcome. Except except for like Me. the week that it's gonna take us to edit this before it comes out. But you know, we'll not nitpicking here. It's hot ish news, okay? <laughs> no one wants it. Nobody eats dinner right after it's done cooking, okay? It's scalding hot, okay? You no, you cool. have to burn the roof of your mouth because that's how we are as people. <laughs> Only with pizza. Only with pizza. 
I also want but, to point out for those of you who might be more home improvement minded, there is a game called Deck Building, the deck building game where you use different types of wood <laughs> to build the most beautiful deck. That is so incredible. I wish I knew about this. So we're just going to put that under the deck building category mm, mm. and think really hard about whether or not we want to buy it. And Sarah didn't think she was going to be teaching us things about board games in this podcast, Tim. You know, apparently not. You know what? Now she's coming in with the hot news. Okay, that's 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 fantastic. Yeah, it's very highly researched these episodes, and it's definitely not just me muting myself and searching board game geek for things. <laughs> Before we also jump into cooperative, I wanted to also speak to some of the other categories that kind of touch upon similar similar ideas of drafting things, because drafting is one of my favorite mechanics in a game, period. Just the idea of you having to pick a thing and you get to agonize over that decision and it has, you know, both short and long term consequences of what you've drafted. Uh I just, I love that mechanic as a whole. Since I do know we have a few people listening to this that are not really much in the way of board gamers, uh, do you want to just briefly mention what drafting is for uh, for anyone who's, uh, who's unfamiliar? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. So drafting, guys, it's basically you have a selection of options and you, you the user, must prioritize what you want the most. And usually there's other opportunity costs that are associated with that. It could be that you leave something else really valuable out that then someone else could take. You also probably have to take into consideration how badly do other people want the other options because you might be able to finagle it to where you get everything that you want if you draft correctly and pick, pick the thing that you want. So there's just a plethora of options out and usually there is a cost with picking one of those things. It could just be flat out. It costs a certain amount of like a currency or something like that. Or maybe there's some other detriment that might affect you depending on what thing that you pick out of those. Because there's always inherently something more valuable out on the table uh, than not. And usually drafting orders also mean they might make it to where you were first pick this time, but you're maybe last pick next time. So there's inherently a way of trying to balance you getting to pick certain things and add it to either your collection or in the uh, in one of my examples, I'm going to bring up like Castles of Burgundy, for example, which Mm -hmm. is something we uh, we recently played and mentioned in our last episode. Uh, There might be certain tiles that are out on the board and once they're gone, they're gone. And so you are weighing and considering what you uh, what you pick. And then on top of that, you also have it to where, let's say, so in, in Castles of Burgundy, what makes it so interesting is you can't just draft whatever you want. Mm. There are six sections on the board, and you roll two dice of yours, and those dice dictate which section you're allowed to buy things from. However, there's a caveat. You do have these things that are called worker tokens, and you can use that to augment the dice roll, plus or minus however many amounts. And that allows you to then kind of go outside your allowed realm. And now you're going to be looking at, you know, what can you actually fit on your board? What are your opponents looking to potentially draft? So you take all that into consideration because maybe you get to go first. And so you might weigh and consider what is your best option based on what is everyone else likely to draft and whether you want to burn your valuable resources now to maybe change a die roll to get something. So there's all these really cool, crunchy decisions that uh, that take place in a game like that. 
another similar one that I really enjoy. And this is almost as I guess a separate category, I guess, dice drafting overall. Like I, I would put this in, I would put uh castles of Burgundy in that realm. And I would also put something like Pulsar 2849 in a similar realm where it's kind of the reverse of castles of Burgundy in some way where it's a, it's a space themed game. You're basically flying your ships around and you're trying to, fly them around as as fast or as far as possible, also taking control of certain galaxies and things like that. It's it's a very, very light, very quick, short game. And the coolest part about it is, based on the number of players, you roll just a giant pool of dice. And those are going to determine on your action board what things you're allowed to do with those dice. So like if you draft a six, drafting a six is generally always almost always more powerful than drafting a one unless you have very specific things that require a very specific dice number. And the cool part is you roll all the dice and then you draft which dice that you want, which will determine what actions you're allowed to do for your board. So it's kind of a reverse of Castles of Burgundy. And that also just has so many cool decisions because you also only get two dice at a time. So you agonize over which ones you want. And then if you decide to draft the more valuable dice, there are negative consequences to drafting them. And of course, it's also a random distribution of what happens. And so the negatives of that totally depend on how those dice get rolled. And so it might be that if all the other dice are like ones and twos, that one six that happened to roll is now very expensive to draft. So you really have to weigh and consider whether you want that six or not. So there's a lot of just cool ideas around drafting that make every decision something that you always have to think about. There's almost no just gimme decisions. And that's why I think drafting is cool. So if you're like a sports person and not much of mm. a board game person and you're listening to us right now, think about the NFL draft. I yep. feel like that's mm-hmm. the best analogous thing, mm-hmm. except instead of picking the best players, you're picking whether you want chickens or pigs in you know, middle France or if you want specific dice in space. <laughs> Are you going to blow all your money on that juicy quarterback who might win you a Super Bowl? Or uh, are you going to spread the spread the love a little bit and get an all-around even team? These are the decisions yeah. we have to make. Do you want a really great first pick and then not have a pick for a really long time while other people Hot get all the middle garbage stuff? trash? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's it's those kinds of decisions that you're making for your specific board state, which is fun. Because everyone knows the most fun part of football, the draft. People get really into it, okay? Like, you got to make your whatever. (laughs) I don't know. I don't do anything with football. (laughs) There's a similar mechanic with uh, bidding. I haven't played it in a while, but um, Power Grid has a a very cool bidding mechanic, which kind of has a similar vibe. Power Grid being a game that Tim literally borrowed from somebody because he wanted to get to a table, like, Mm -hmm. what, now two months ago? God, yeah, I still really (laughs) want to play it. I more so want to get my wife to play it because she has not experienced it yet, and I think that she would dig it, and then it's an excuse to buy it, so. Yep. Yep. Add it to the pile, I guess. Yeah, I will say we haven't mentioned, I don't think, unless this was mentioned while I was finding deck building, the deck building game. Um, (laughs) But one of our favorite games, Dune Imperium, has a pretty solid deck building element Mm -hmm. to it. Mm -hmm. Now, this is one of the games that we said has lots of these different mechanics in it. So deck building Mm -hmm. is just one part of it. So you've got worker placement, you've got a combat element, you've got a deck builder element. 
but I think it's it's one that's interesting because you see how these different mechanics can play together. Um, I don't know. Anybody have thoughts on that? <laughs> uh, we still love Dune Imperium, even if Tim's dad is kind of mad on it. Even um, if my dad is thought. wrong and it is still the best. <laughs> yeah, he, he finally got it in a trade and he got to play it and he's like, it's good. But like y'all, y'all are on the hype train to hell and it's all yeah. right. It's all right. So I don't, I don't know if we can have him as a guest anymore, but you know, that's okay. That's you true. Know, like... I think he's canceled. He's, he's officially canceled. <laughs> you know, I, I do love specifically with Dune Imperium. They do have expansions that specifically make the deck building elements more exciting and have different card combinations that can go be... on. <laughs> I'm literally repeating to you what the guy from uh, our local game store was telling Ken about it while I was standing next to it. <laughs> yep. and, 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 I, and I, and I, and I did in fact buy it and have also not played that for a month and a half, two months now. So yeah, definitely want to get, uh, want to get that expansion to the table at some point. Yeah. So thanks guy from game theory on Turley. <laughs> So the real question is the real question, Sarah, is did you buy it? Ken did. I did. Oh. I did. Yeah, no, you know, he sold it. Wait, to me. Ken, yep. do you own the expansion and then not the base game? No, I have both. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, no, I, 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 wait, I wait, when did game. you buy it? I I got it for Christmas like 2021. Like uh, we I got it for a bit. We got oh. it the same we got it for Christmas yeah. the same year. Yeah. Ah, okay. But we played my copy well, the one I time we played out. it. Now I have to buy a copy. Because <laughs> that's definitely how that should work. No, I was that. That was the day I was on my final girl kick, and I bought all of season mm. two. Mm. Uh, or no, I bought like one of season two, and then Morgan bought me the rest of it. Mm. Um, so no, I did not buy it, but but Ken did. Um, okay, we're we're gonna, we're gonna need to get an up, update of your uh, your board game collection picture on uh, Instagram because uh, it has gotten much sane. bigger. You guys <laughs> do, actually know, so that's a great transition. We'll we'll switch over it from is. talking about deck builders. It was, it was all well planned. See, yeah, not it, even though it's not scripted, it's totally scripted. This is why Ken can't transition us. It has to be me um, <laughs> because my board game collection has grown recently in the world of cooperative gaming uh, and arguably also RPG gaming uh, with too many bones. Which, Which is, they've heard, but but it's got it's gotten worse. It, yep. Okay, so we had we had pieces of it. I, so for anyone who's not familiar with Too Many Bones, this is a game that has been out for a while, and it has lots of dice elements to it. There's a base game. Um, you are playing as a gearlock. You're like a little elf guy, you know, and you're fighting off tyrants that are in your land, and you fight baddies, and then the tyrants. Anyways. It came with a, there's a base game that has four gear locks and a certain set of baddies. Then you can buy extra gear What's locks. What's a gear lock, Sarah? I just said, it's like a little <laughs> elf guy. It's your player that you can pick. So it came with four and then some bad guys. Then there was an expansion uh, that was like the same thing, but on a boat called Undertow. Then there was an expansion called Unbreakable, which was the same kind of concept, but underground in caves with lava and then they have specific individual gear locks that you can buy so that you've got more variety of of players to choose from when you're trying to figure out who you want to play against these baddies right so the the base game really hard to get very it's not currently you will you will perform sexual favors to obtain this game which at this point i'm not convinced my husband wouldn't do Um, (laughs) 
<laughs> so we started out with Unbreakable, which was the last expansion with the lava. And then by the time we played it once, he had ordered, I want to say, six or seven extra characters. We now have eight characters. We have the Undertow expansion, although he swears we're not going to open it until Christmas. Like we have a, a game mat that's got like where you mm. put all the components. Mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. we have all the extra things that you can buy all for right. this game. It is so an Morgan's entire, a hooker. It's okay. It's, it's an entire shelf now. I I do want to let people clarify people too. This is a very premium game. This is a game that it's has not cheap. you know this is this, it's not cheap. The components are all super high quality. It's one of those things you like. This is a if you haven't heard of it before, go go Google it. Look at some pictures of Too Many Bones. It's a, this is a absolutely gorgeous game. It's incredible. I mean, the, the quality of it, top-notch. The mm-hmm. gameplay of it is incredibly fun. This is, again, so we're talking about cooperative games. So usually these are games where it's like you versus the game, you and other people together versus the game. Um, the one that comes to mind that we've talked about a lot uh, in this is going to be Spirit Island, where you know you're different. You're like the gods, the spirits of this island, and you're trying to like get these invaders off and protect the local people. Um, are there like, is, are there competitive RPGs? I don't think so. Right. I was trying to think of any RPG that is not cooperative. I mean, you get in a PvP server on World of Warcraft. Well, sure, but I mean, like, in, in board game form, I don't think yeah, so, well, right? So, so what you will definitely see are ones that it is a a singular player kind of running as a game master kind of a thing, or running monsters versus uh, the other. Oh, like players. a like a one v all kind of kind yes. of thing, so I guess. You'll definitely yeah, see one v all role playing games. Um, I don't really know how many of them are. You know, it would be. You know, like all versus all, most of them I think are are either mm-hmm. cooperative or you know one versus all. But yeah, so that this is the kind of game that we're talking about co-op. So in Too Many Bones, it's you and you can actually play it by yourself. You can play solo. It's actually a really highly rated solo game, and there are different things that you do differently to make it a solo game, make it better for solo play. Uh, you can also play multiple gear locks as by yourself. So I've done that before where I've got like two different characters that I'm controlling. Uh, but you can play up to four people and it's the four people versus the bad the baddies in the game. Uh, and that's kind of how that works. Usually if you've got something like that, it scales. So for instance, in Too Many Bones, if you're playing with two people, when you're creating your baddie queue, which is like how many bad guys you're fighting, it's the day that you're on in the game times the number of players. So if it's day two and you've got two players, you fight four people, four baddies. It's pretty straightforward. Whereas, yeah, if, if you've got more people, you fight harder things. So mm-hmm. it scales like it, think games that have good scaling like that are really fun. But anyways, really high quality game. Recommend it. But also like don't get into it if you don't want to be rolling deep. Because like when we first started looking at it, Morgan was like, oh, I found a whole set, like the whole complete set. And it's like two grand on eBay. What? Yep. Who would do oh that? Right. Like, I mean, <laughs> and I, now we're like a solid grand into it. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of RPG hobbies that are just expensive. Like look at Warhammer 40K. You can easily just throw money in a blender with that game. No, no question. Same thing with TCGs. TCGs in general, you will uh, absolutely like Magic: The Gathering. Uh, you could easily spend 
1k if you just you know not thinking about it if you want a competitive deck so that, that, that is definitely the meta about too many bones in you know game review sites and things like that is everybody agrees it's a great game everybody agrees that it's beautiful and very high quality everybody then asks like is it worth the money and people come to different conclusions because it is it is definitely a, a very premium game and that that was why i was making a big point uh earlier about you know this is i mean it is it is gorgeous it is well constructed it is fun it's not cheap <laughs> if anyone ever wants to play it let me know because <laughs> my husband wants to play it all the time i came home from work today exhausted okay so i'm coming off of last week had covid then i had a you know my granddad died and i was home for the funeral and everything i'm exhausted Come home from my first day of being back at work. Immediately, he wants to play this game. <laughs> like, I want to. I want to comment on the transition that this man has gone through. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. He he blew off our board game uh, gatherings for a solid year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would not come. What wasn't his thing? Was didn't want to do it. Then, like, well, the first time I remember, was he here over for anything? Prior to coming over Twilight Imperium, he the came first over time? to play something. I feel maybe it was Dice Forge, or was it the opposite? Was it we finally got like I think it's no, because he played Sarah Dice Forge. Always, did he, he play Dice, Dice Forge, Forge before? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, it also was you know Sarah's been playing Ti with us for a long time, and I'm sure that you know Morgan is overhearing her playing it, and she's having a good time. We eventually convinced him to come play it, and we knew exactly what he would like. Yep. And so, so well, so in TI, there's a very vanilla race who's also very strong. It's the humans. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. So we got him to play them, and he enjoyed it. But that's not the best game of TI. The best game of TI is always game number two, because yep. now you know how to play the game, and now you get to look through that giant stack of races, and now you get to pick one that you want to play. And we already knew exactly who he was going to play, and he was dying to play again. And that was it. It was all downhill from there. We, we hook, line, and sinker got him to play board games. Yeah, it started out. So like when we first started playing board games, especially like the TI kind of board games, he was like, you know, I don't want to be into this because I want you to have your own thing that you do with your friends that I'm not like invading into. He wanted to give me my own space to do my own thing. You know, he's got like video games and stuff and he wanted this to be my thing. But I think he's just gotten sucked in. Mm-hmm. But now it's like a super fun thing that we do together. And like we just won a really big battle in the game that we were playing. And um, it was really nice, like a little moment. I, so I think that's awesome. Yep. Co-op games can be something that you can do with a significant other, a partner. You know, you can play it with a bunch of friends. Co-ops can be really fun. But I, I know I'm dominating the conversation about co-ops. So I'll, I'll open the floor up. <laughs> I, mean, I think I think it's relevant because this is kind of what co-ops are good at and why I think I love them, why I think Sarah you you love them. Um I'm I think Ken it's probably not one of your favorite genres, but Yeah. I mean, I typically play games for the tactical challenge of what I'm doing with it and frequently I tend to find with co-op games people want to have it dialed at a level that makes it pretty likely they're going to win. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. If I'm going to be doing a co-op game, I would tend to want to doubt at a level that maybe we win one time in three. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like I would, I would want to lose more often than we win because that makes me feel like we are challenging our ability. Oh to man, I know all out. the games then for you. Like you could easily play Robinson Crusoe, which is brutally difficult. I'm wondering how Frostpunk has played out so far. Yeah. I don't know if you have the chance to try it yet. I, I, I have not. So that, that was, um, I, I did recently buy uh, by Frostpunk when it was uh, on sale from, was it a, I'm sure it was, whose sale it was that, uh, Kim had shared with me that it was on sale for, so I I did buy a copy of Frostpunk and haven't even really figured out how to play it yet and gotten a, gotten it out on a table. But that is definitely you know more the kind of thing I would want to do with it, where it's a challenge. Mm-hmm, I, I do also mm-hmm. tend to prefer to challenge myself against other human intellect trying to, you know, trying to defeat me. So like whether I'm playing uh, computer games or or board games, I do tend to prefer to have a, another player putting their their intellect and will against me and i don't even mind losing like i will lose 10 times in a row and and say let's 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 go it again a time because I, I do like the the challenge of trying to figure out what i can do better how i can improve how i can grow that mm-hmm. uh, so I, you know, like with computer games i you know played uh halo 4 and i i just i don't even think i ever did the uh, single player campaign i just you know went online only and got play, only destroyed play. yeah I got destroyed I mean. constantly because i was never that good at it mm-hmm. but i would always just go on and you know like i trying to trying to improve my my tactics my skill my ability with it and mm-hmm. so I, I do enjoy that with with board games as well so yeah typically it's not it's not my my main appeal to board games but i do enjoy doing them for you know, the joy that i can see them having for other players at a table and being able to sit there and see people enjoying that collaboration, enjoying mm-hmm, that pu- mm-hmm. puzzle solving, enjoying yeah, trying to understand yeah. the, the the mechanics of it, uh, as long as it doesn't end up feeling too too much of a of a, of a gimme uh, win to me, uh, you know, I'll don't have fun with it. But uh, most those good are the ones co-op that really games kinda... aren't gimmies, or if it's a gimme, it's because you made it a gimme. Like you you right. made the difficulty the gimme level, right? And that's what I say. I typically find, you know. Most people playing co-op games have do not have a good night if they lose the game, mm-hmm. and so they don't. We don't want to set it at a difficulty level that is going to mean that we don't win the game. Uh, sure, I will sure. pull out a I'll pull out a co-op game for the first time and say, "Yeah, let's let's set it at the hardest difficulty and see how quickly we lose." You know, <laughs> nobody else wants to do that at a table, <laughs> and so well, it, it's it's tough because I, I kind of. I'm going to kind of hover on co-op games a little bit just because it is my favorite genre. Um, It's, it's kind of what got my wife into board games or it's, it's her favorite category. So uh, by association, it's kind of my favorite as well because it's what rubs her in. And I think one interesting thing is for example, with spirit Island, uh, notoriously very difficult. It's one of those things to where when we first played it a few times, it was like, this game's impossible. Or her perception of it, like I'm used to playing video games where like, you know, there's tons of adversity, whatever, you know, you'll eventually figure out how to beat that boss after doing it 20 times and then you'll never lose to the boss again, you know, like that kind of thing. Right, exactly. And and so Spirit Island has a similar vibe of, okay, you gotta, you know, you gotta learn your spirit legs first before you really, it it always gets bad before before it gets good Right. in that game. Like it just makes it look like you have this insurmountable thing that you you will just never overcome and then after and then you win and you're like oh it was beatable and that makes it to where you're more willing to put yourself in like dire circumstances and then not get upset at those dire circumstances of like how is anybody supposed to beat this it's right you're like i've seen this before 
I know it is generally accomplishable. It may not be in this specific circumstance. Maybe things just all went way too wrong. And in fact, it is unbeatable this time around. But as you kind of see that adversity kind of, and you, and you slowly scale it, I think it makes people more willing to actually do some of those harder, harder versions after you just got to ease people into it. So to Ken's point, like I would not recommend starting with the hardest difficulty to try and incentivize people that it is doable for a lot of people. They'll just look at and go, this game's impossible. Why would anybody play it? And sometimes even the easiest difficulty in some of these co-op games, because they do generally assume if you're buying a co-op game, you're probably well-versed in board games. I don't really know of a lot of simple cooperative board games that are meant to like, I, I, I don't know of many out in the store shelves that are like cooperative games. I think it's just, it's such a foreign concept to like the average person right? that they, they're just not really advertised to anybody, but board gamers as far yep. as I'm aware. So, yep. no, it's definitely a, a very much the modern advanced board game kind of thing to have a co-op model and definitely, you know, a more, a more recent area of, of, of strength on that. And I, Definitely would enjoy and, and have enjoyed with Tim sitting down and doing a co-op game on something that is very challenging. And, and but like you mentioned, Spirit Island and, and it has a reputation of being very hard. I in the ten times I've played it, I don't know that I've ever lost Spirit Island. Like mm-hmm. it's we we, we yes. Oh, Ken, we have work to do, my friend. We no, have work yeah, to no, do. We can, no, and we and we can do that. But like it it is it is a uh, to your point. It's because people it's normally that, don't make it hard, right? Or exactly. they don't make it as hard as you would want it to be. Exactly, and so that's where, like, I you know, I'm not saying that I couldn't like co-op games as a as a you know category. I you know did just go buy uh, Frostpunk to try to you know dig into that a little bit more because you know it is a game that is supposedly very very hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, but I tend to find I tend to find that people who want to play co-op games generally want to do it more as a as a casual recreational activity with some friends, and that's fine. I think that's, that's just a fair not what I look at board games for typically for myself. I like, mean, I'm let's boil it down, right? Game. Like, I mean, you could play any cooperative game solo. Yep, you could play so, like there is somebody who is so good at, at Spirit Island, uh, Red Revenge. Uh, he mm-hmm. does a lot of Spirit Island content on YouTube, and this man has played. He, I don't think he's exaggerating because he also play tested all the new expansions to it. And he was like a major contributor to like the design of some of the newer spirits. He says he's probably played like 10,000 games of spirit Island. I believe the guy because he can play a level six adversary, which is like the hardest level of any of the adversaries. And he can beat it in 20 minutes. Like this guy wow. is, a, this guy's a machine. Wait, so for reference, crazy. what's the highest level we've ever played? Uh, we've maybe done, adversary level two or three which is not it's not it's respectable yeah. but like this guy is on another level he yeah, is no, playing I, yeah like, i think we did a three once that was and that was that was one where i was in there one yeah we're ready for a three sure we are <laughs> i do then, remember uh, <laughs> specifically thinking maybe you are ken maybe <laughs> you are but we yeah, did like, win that game we did win we that did, it was but, it was a nail biter well, they're, they're, and the reason that I, I'm comfortable doing it, because again, I'm okay with the fact that if we lose it, like we, if we, mm-hmm. we played that, we sat there, we played for three hours and we lose, you know, like, okay, that was fun. Like I, we, I learned more about how, how the spirit works, how, you know, how, how to, to be able to play that, you know, to me that, that wasn't a wasted evening. And I, what I tend to find with co-op games in general is that most people, if at the end of the night you haven't won the game, they they feel very uh, very disappointed at the outcome. It's not it's not a 
you know, oh, cool. Well, we, we, we worked really hard at that. We tried really hard. It was, you know, we almost had it, you know, next, next time we'll get it, you know, and that, and so it just ends up being just a different, a different play tone that most people who are in, interested mm-hmm. in co-op games are looking for than what I like to look for in, in, in a board game. And from, from other board games, like the only way that I can sit there and be, you know, having a, a, a extremely challenging nail bite of a game. I just play with people who are way better than I am mm-hmm. and they destroy me. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Like that was neat. I got to see how they did things differently and how they controlled. And uh, even going to your point of, uh, oh, well, it's just not, not a winnable game. Like, I can say, oh no, like obviously the person who beat me knows the game better and did it better. And I can, I can see that. Mm-hmm. Whereas it can be hard to know with a co-op game. If you ratchet up that difficulty, is it actually winnable? Or do you have to like basically have memorized all the cards to win it at, you know, a, a difficulty six, and, and that becomes a little the elements on those. Like, what what is it you have to know in order to be able to do it? Is it under having a better strategy, better understanding the game, or is it just memorizing every card in the deck? And th- that if that's how the difficulty is working, like again, mm, I think you got to be careful here cheating. because the meta of any game, like when you start reaching that that um, echelon of mastery, yep, it there is a lot of memorization. There is tons of memorization in TI, for example, of like Absolutely. knowing what all the objectives are, things like that. Um, I, and I don't think it's any different with any game that is very difficult. I think the the difference is. There's nobody to learn from in general from a co-op game. Whereas if you're in a competitive game, you could see how someone else played and go, oh man, I didn't play anything like that, right? Yep. I, don't think that's, I don't think that's strictly true though. It's you can not, see- it's not. I'm just using that as an example. Especially like in a, in a co-op game where there are different types of factions that you can play. So Spirit Island, you know, the different spirits that you can be in Too Many Bones, the different gear locks you can be. Mm-hmm. I can watch Morgan play a gear lock that I've played before and just be blown away by the different combinations of things that he comes up with. Like you can definitely learn yep. for future games, I think. Oh, a- absolutely. Absolutely. I just I think that when you are like di- directly competing with somebody else, it allows you to focus. A l- it, it makes the, the issues more obvious or it makes why you lost probably more obvious. You take it more personally. So it impacts you deeply. <laughs> I, it, totally, totally. I, it, it's, it's, it's an interesting conversation for sure. Yeah. Um, I don't want to get too, too off the rails. Although I, like this is a very cool discussion about, you know, game mastery and like what makes, you know, how you, how you can get better at a game. And it, I mean, it's, it, it's fascinating. I think, I think what, we, what we've concluded here is that Kim is wrong about role-playing games and I'm wrong about co-op games, you know, so <laughs> we can move on. <laughs> and, and Sarah's favorite game is a co-op RPG. <laughs> So to properly wrap up co-op, though, I do want to... There's some honorable mentions that I don't recall if they were mentioned before. Because uh, obviously we did a cursory overview of what they are. And this was kind of meant to be a more deep dive. So there's Atlantis Rising, which I think overall that game doesn't offer as much of difficulty scaling, if that's something that you like. But thematically, it is awesome. And also every game that I've played of it has been a super nail biter. It it almost always comes down to like the very last tile that needs to be flipped. And you you're like huddled on this tiny patch of land before you get teleported off to space or wherever the hell they go. All right. But it's a game that you're just trying to basically build a gate to get out of, you know, sinking Atlantis and just it does a really great job of eliciting that feeling of oh god the island is sinking we got to get out of here and i love the 
having to make risky choices sometimes of picking a spot that might uh, get sunk underwater and then you don't get to do the action that you designated there. So if you're looking for something that thematically is easy to understand what's happening and usually will pull people in just because visually it's a really pretty game and it is just kind of cool to see the water just rapidly start broaching the, the island. I yeah. definitely really, really recommend this game as a great co-op game. It's just, it doesn't have as much flexibility, I think, as some of the others, but it does have a high player count too, which is really cool. It's uh, It can handle up to seven people. So that's You know the nice. thing about Atlantis Rising that I think is great, but I don't know why this is something that sticks out so much to me, is that the board is like a circle. So everyone is just like, standing on their edge of the circle yelling mm. like it, you just get really excited about it and the board setup is such that like i don't know i feel like it's more an, of an organic movement around the board yeah and i really enjoy just the the island prongs and just you know i i love that you really have to choose what sections of the island you want to sacrifice sometimes and then there's the event cards that just can really fuck you over and yeah it, it just it but it, it doesn't ever feel unfair. I think that is a really hard balance to strike with cooperative games. Now, is... I will say there's one kind of downside that I've found with cooperative games. And I don't know, mm. maybe this is one of the reasons Ken doesn't like them. Maybe not. Mm. In a cooperative game, since it is all of the players versus the game, mm -hmm. you really have to be very careful with house rules <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> because it's you enforcing the rules against yourself. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it can be mm -hmm. very easy in the moment to be like, this is, this is the rule. This is how it is written. I know this is how it is supposed to be done, but it benefits me to not know that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Especially I, if you're playing a co-op game and you're playing it solo <laughs> it can feel it can feel almost like oh, why am I doing this to myself <laughs> mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I'm making this hard but it's how the game is supposed to be played but it would be so much easier if it wasn't mm -hmm. I would say that I probably my one of my favorite uh, co-op games though is uh, the crew where uh, basically it's a it's a trick a trick taking yeah, game right and uh, so everyone mm -hmm. you know, like if, if you people are familiar with you know, like hearts or spades, uh, where you know high card takes it, uh, card goes lead. You know, has to be followed suit. There, you know, there, there's trump involved. The thing that's fun about with the crew is that it, it gives you different uh, objectives that have to be followed as far as like who has to take what cards and you know sequencing and things like that. So it's a game that if your your circle is very good at trick taking games and understanding how to use uh, you know nonverbal cues and uh, oh, because you're, you're not allowed to. You can't talk, to, right? Well, you you can talk, but you can't like say anything that reveals what cards are in your hand. So things that that would that would require that would that would be talking about the cards in your hand. That's cheating. And mm -hmm. so again, talking about the element you're just saying here, where we're we're trying to figure out, you know, oh well, to what extent do you allow yourself to cheat? You know, it's cheating to say what's in your hands, just like it would be in you know in spades to tell your partner, you know, what uh, what cards you have. But you can definitely suggest that you can you can you can hint at things based on how you play. You can hint at things based on oh, it'd be really you know it'd be good if if, if this goes a couple rounds before you know someone forces out the queen of spades and you know hearts uh, parlance or whatever. You know, like you can talk about things in a way that 
that isn't specifically giving away things about your hand, but is just kind of, so it, it is, it's fun in that sense that it really plays to people who know how to, how to signal with the cards they play in a way that people who play a lot of old kind time card games uh, do. So I, I played this game a lot with uh, my parents uh, when I was, I was back for Christmas uh, and they're, you know, they're both very good at card games and they, you know, typically are not a big fan of learning these complex new fangled board games. And, you know, uh, I, I think I've heard from both of my parents at times, you know, oh, well, you know, what, 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 why don't you guys just pull out a deck of cards like, you know, we used to do. And this is one they got really into. They're like, oh, okay. Cause it's giving us different quests and things to do with the car. So it's cooperative, but with, you know, enough information hidden that it, it was, it was, uh, you know, you're trying to, to put together a strategy when you're not allowed to just put together the strategy that, because another yeah, like, I, I tend to worry about with, with co-op games is where, where it ends up becoming just an entirely, you know, one, one player just running the puzzle and the other people just do what they're told. I think that hurts a lot of, especially things like pandemic uh, is, is my classic example on that. We're just one more percentage just coaching the whole team to victory. I think that um, the crew is the quintessential, Hey, how do we get grandma to play a, a modern board game a hundred percent especially since almost every older person understands a trick-taking game yep and they will absolutely enjoy the extra zing or spice that comes with uh comes with the crew i think it's 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 fantastic for that reason now there's other really good games you could also bring but i think even though I I enjoy trick taking games and I mm-hmm. wouldn't really say that I'm usually aching to play the crew like I I don't own it and I can't say that I'm aching for anybody to bring it over to play. But that being said, when I did play it because I actually bought it for my grandma uh, mm-hmm. a year or two ago, it really it really hits really well. And, and I say like the first few missions of it if you if you haven't gone super deep into it the first few missions are pretty easy mm-hmm. uh just kind of teaching the mechanics of what you're trying to do with the thing you get halfway through that book and those things start getting really challenging and, and mm-hmm. you know you're they're having sequences that are really complicated and it really starts becoming hard to do especially within the limitations of you know not just you know saying i need i need you to not play that card right now <laughs> mm-hmm. you know just mm-hmm. using the kinds of you know exactly the kind of things that the trick playing things do it's it, it really is, is interesting the other one i really like is a collab a cooperative game though uh, and again it's being a completely different kind of a thing is uh is like a Sherlock holmes mystery type uh, type game and with those generally what you're doing is uh there you'll read a little story snippet and then it'll ask you like mm. where do you want to go next to try to investigate for more clues and, and typically with these with these style of games you're trying to beat you know in Sherlock holmes you're trying to beat sherlock and, and look at fewer different locations than he does to solve the mystery and you know, with that one, I mean, there's definitely a possibility for one person to just kind of coach it, but you take turns choosing what the next next destination is going to be. There's all kinds of like newspaper artifacts to go through, and and phone books, and uh, other 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 physical media that you hand around, and people are searching through and trying to figure out, you know, is there something in this that's relevant to this case? And you know, as, as you move through that one again, you know, add newspapers each case you go through, and sometimes there will be a clue in an older newspaper that relates to a newer case, and so you're sitting there, you know. Once you get to, to, to case, you know, three, four, five, you're pages, pages through five pages of the newspapers here trying to figure out, is there anything in any of these newspapers that relates to anything in the initial description? And then like halfway through the case, someone like, hey, that person whose name was just mentioned, they're mentioned in the newspaper from three three issues ago. And 
it forces it, again it forces a, a a collaboration because yes one person can sit there and figure it all out and do it all but there's generally you know too much stuff to figure out and go through for one person to in a reasonable amount of time do it so during you have one person sitting there and paging through the phone book and one person going through the newspaper and then you know the current person try to figure out okay well based on the last three places we went and the notes we've all taken where should we go next so it's like the board um, game version of an escape room exactly and it's it, again it, it really i think again appeals to people who normally don't play board games as it's an activity in my mind more than even really like a game um because yeah, I mean, yeah, you're trying to beat you're trying to beat Sherlock Holmes, but but Holmes cheats. I mean, he he does it in all the books. <laughs> Holmes, Holmes, Holmes jumps to conclusions that no sane person ever would. And you sit there and go, like Holmes, like that could have been anybody. You're lucky that that was actually the right the right person. There was no way that that getting was getting called a out, Sherlock Holmes. You, you're you're full no of way. shit, Sherlock. His Get evidence, fucked, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah. His evidence would never I'm just kidding. Oh my god, no! If Benedict Cumberbatch is listening what up <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, yeah, hey I, keep I the thirst this is not the thirst podcast <laughs> look on the off chance that he's one of our 200 and something unique <laughs> listeners at this point <laughs> what, what, what the what, only what thing we've thirst for here is board games damn it look we had some people from the uk in no, our that's, little... true. that's yep, true one of those one of, one of those could have been benedict Cumberbatch. there it's possible <laughs> yeah yeah Okay, let's uh, let's cover one more category before we before we close this episode out, and that's one that's also going to be near and dear to my heart. This is just the Sarah episode, guys, um, and that's going to be what we we call the X and Right. So Railroad Inc. obviously is going to be one that we've talked about before. These are basically games where it's just what it sounds like. You are doing something where everyone has their own little board and you write on it. <laughs> so Railroad Inc. is one um, where you are connecting railroads and rail and, and roads. You know, basically that's, that's basically the whole game. That's it. You're, you're rolling dice that give you specific combinations of turns and connections, and you're trying to make a long road and connect all these exits. And it's just delightful. It's so much fun. It totally I think what's is. really cool with these kind of games is that they tend to not be directly competitive. Again, they're you're all working from the same prompts and trying to build something. But the things that I do don't hurt what Tim is doing or mess up Sarah's plans. At the end of it, you compare your scores to see how you, how you did with the prompts that you had. But there's no there's no direct uh, interference with each other's uh, a- actions. And everything that's also, wrong is your fault. Yep. <laughs> you have yep. only yourself to blame and you can compare yourself then to just you know what how well you scored at past games and how well you've done in the past and maybe you know you just got a really good set of roles or you know and welcome to is another one of these where you're, you're uh drawing cards they're giving you houses that you can put on, uh, on on city blocks and you're trying to create different kinds of patterns it, it's and a maybe, good natural maybe transition really maybe you, just just because yeah. like sarah was talking about like or ken you were talking mm-hmm. about how it's just doing an activity with people Exactly. This is the same realm, uh, I would say, except it's competitive rather than cooperative. Yep. And I've definitely with with you know both Railroad Inc. and Welcome Two. I've you know set up a room I with love you know, six or eight people and just you know here just hang, hang out around the room talking you know enjoying the party and you know every few minutes we flip another card or we roll the dice again and people add to their puzzle and so it's 
you know, and that is very much ends up being just a casual paying. Um, these, uh, welcome to, I did a ton of again over, uh, during lockdown. Uh, oh, me too. Me too. Yeah. It was, um, it's, it's such an easy hit. Um, and if you yep. ever want to try it, it is on board game arena. Yep. Pretty, pretty easy to land a game of it. If you're interested in playing yep. it for free, like it's, yep. it's a, it's deceivingly intriguing. It, it's just one of those that as soon as you, you, as soon as you have the aha moment of how it all works, it is really fun to, to play. Uh, and it's not that hard to learn. It's just, no, there, there's just that extra layer of like, once you, once it really clicks, it, it's a blast to play. Yep. I definitely like, I mean, for, for non-gamers, it, it can be a very easy intro kind of thing to do. Cause it's not, there's not a lot of rules to it. And you know, like Tim said, once it clicks, it's just, it's easy, it's fun, it's casual. And you can just, you know, sit and sit and do it on your phone or do it on your laptop while you're working on other things. You know, it's not, it's not an intense activity uh, by any means. If you want kind of a, a, a spicy modern, uh, roll and write, that I really enjoy for the thematics of it. There's super skill pinball, which it basically is a, it's a whiteboard that, well, it's a, um, it's a board that you can draw on and it looks like one of the old school pinball machines basically. And then they give you this little plastic pin, like mock pinball. It's like shiny, like a pinball, but it's cut in half. And then you move it along this board and then you're drawing things in on the board to mark that you've, managed to like hit and cert- hit certain bumpers a number of times. Hmm. And basically as the pinball is falling, it must hit certain objects. You're rolling a die and that tells you what objects it's allowed to hit. And eventually you will exhaust all the spots that it's allowed to hit. And then the ball, the ball will, you know, fall down and you, you get like three rounds of that. And then they have more and more complicated boards that you can play where you can really try and rack up a crazy high score and just see how high you can get. And there's something about that game that is so incredibly charming. Just this little crappy plastic half of a pinball that is on this board just really makes it feel like you're playing pinball because as it falls, you can then have it land on one of the the flippers to hit the ball back up. And that flipper can only hit it to certain areas. So it's just like if it was a real pinball machine and there's nothing else that it, it does such a good job of eliciting that feeling. And then there's the extra complexity there if you want to get really challenging with it after you've kind of mastered the easy boards. And again, it's another one of those, there's four boards, you hand them out to everybody. It's just an activity you kind of do together, but the charmingness of it, and there's also a Christmas vacation version of the board, which I got got my parents. Um, And yeah, also what's cool is that the, the game comes with multiple different boards. So once you've mastered, like I said, the easy ones, there's three other versions of boards that you can try out and they all play quite a bit different. And so I highly recommend that if you're looking for maybe a, a, a more a more intriguing roll and write. There's also like a cartographer uh, based one as well that I've heard a lot of good things about. So uh, definitely check that out. I think it's literally called cartographer if, I, if I'm thinking I was... of the right one. I was wondering if I like was out of the loop and not having ever heard of uh, Super Skill Pinball, so I went and looked it up on Board Game Geek, and uh, this game is uh, quite a Board Game Geek, the one thousand two hundred eighty eighth best game of all time. Uh, so <laughs> once once you once you flushed out your collection with the other one thousand two hundred eighty seven games, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean. For anything to be in like even the top few thousand is still saying a lot. So let's be real: the most popular roll and write 
on Board Game Geek is uh, 162. So like they're not they're not anybody's favorite, but like Railroad Inc's 523. You're not like, going. You're not grabbing the roll and right to be like, man, I want to have a riveting day of gaming. You know, I can say this. I'll say this. Oh my gosh, I need to come up with a transition that's not I'll say this. <laughs> I'll work on that for next episode, guys. But it's okay. I, I do have think, my own phrases. I won't bring them up though, but people probably well, them now that I've pointed it out, it's all anyone's gonna be listening for. Yeah, exactly. You, you, I that's why I didn't say anything. Yeah, edit that out, Ken. <laughs> edit that out. So <laughs> I do think that one of the charms of things like the roll and write, and oh my gosh, there's a board game on here that's a rar and right that's dinosaur themed oh, oh yeah rar and right yeah <laughs> um so one of the charms of the roll and right or one of the things that i think could get people into it like if you've got a family that plays phase 10 or plays yahtzee like the whole you've got that mechanic of rolling dice and then doing something with it so you're halfway there this is just like a a furthering of that concept so I think it's a little bit easier to get people into it. It's like the game that you bring out at the family gathering that's really easy to teach that involves, you know, it's the tactile thing of the dice rolling and you get to do something like draw something. So everybody's engaged the whole time. So it, it, I, I feel like these are more accessible, more approachable games. There's a yeah, uh, Castles well, of Burgundy roll in, uh, dice roller. <laughs> I saw that. Okay, this has just devolved into us being on board game key. Yeah, I'm just saying. Realize realizing that that Railroad Inc is rated only 523. I think I, I think I no longer consider Borging Geek to the, the the true arbiter of what a good game is anymore. Um, well, we I, all know that that Board Game Geek just has a <laughs> has an absolute hard on for just the newest and hottest and, you know, if a game is a year old, it's probably it probably belongs in at least the bottom two hundred, unless it's a giant RPG box, and apparently it's allowed to be in the top ten forever. So, you know, that's just how things go. But yeah, so that's that's the last category. We'll save another few categories here that we've got for even more future episodes. We'll have a part three for our favorite games in each different type of category. And maybe sometime we can actually take a look at some of these board game geek things and come up with other, other minute ways, which we may not completely agree with everything that they, uh, they, they, they like here. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm willing to call them out. You know, like, first of all, it's great that board game geek exists. First of all, you know, it, the, the problem is there's a lot of, there's a lot of group think that goes on on board game geek. I will say Tim, Tim is cutting our audience again. Now, now everybody who, who's, you know, super into board game geek is also not going to. Hey, board game geekers go fuck yourself. No. Okay. So here's the thing. They have a whole podcast section on boardgamegeek.com, and our podcast isn't on it yet. So that's my beef with board. Uh, it game won't geek be. Right now. Now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay we've just shot he ourselves in the foot myself. oh man okay okay we're devolving into oblivion here um but yeah things that we've got coming up that for the next not one politically correct oh my god tim oh my god <laughs> so we're gonna we're gonna talk about tableaus engine builders area control kind of games on the next time that we I won't say the next episode because we may wait another few episodes before we do this again. Yeah, we like to mix things up, you know? 
yeah, we might talk about solo games next time. Ah, oh, it's so hard. I, I'm already looking at you know. There's like drafting mechanics in some of these games that we haven't talked about that I was hoping we would maybe get to. Man, the problem is there's too many mechanics that overlap in all these games now, and I can't just. Why can't everything just fit in a neat little box anymore? You know, it's all it's all so much, so many different things. But yeah, so wrapping up here. I don't know. Did you guys have any wrap up thoughts, things that you wanted to talk about that weren't specifically related to this that have happened? I don't know. Timely things, news, anything? Well, uh, what did we just get done playing? Oh, Ken, we could talk about our experience with uh, Captain Sonar. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. So I've definitely wanted to get Captain Sonar for a while. I've played it a number of times and I haven't bought it because finding the right number of players to play it is, is not always easy. Generally, I feel like you want to have between six and eight players to have a really good experience with it. And uh, recently, uh, you know, with uh, all the talk we had with Tim's dad about the secondary market, I did buy a, a copy off the secondary market and uh, took over to Tim's house. And I think we were actually planning to play something else. And I kind of pigeonholed in. I was like, yeah, before we do that, um, I want to play Captain Sonar. So I taught the whole room Captain Sonar and... Uh, we, uh, we, we played a few rounds of it, and uh, uh, my team uh, proceeded to lose, uh, I think, all three of them, right? So, uh, yeah. What'd you think, Tim? Dude, that game is an absolute blast, and I know that most, like, my family members, for example, there's not a chance in hell they would play that game. Same with, same with my wife. She's like, absolutely not. That just seems so stressful, because it, for anybody who doesn't know, Captain Sonar is a real-time, a real-time game, so there's... The two sides of the of the table, one side is, you know, one submarine, the other side, it's like adult battleship, basically. So you got two different submarines who are chasing each other, and you basically have one person who has a map who's trying to draw based on the directions that the other submarine person on the other side, uh, in the other sub is saying their directions out loud, and you're trying to figure out, well, what, where could they possibly be on this map based on the directions that they're having to announce, and... You're having to arm weapons at the same time. You're trying to figure out if you know where they're at. So there's just, it's just chaos, absolute chaos. And then the most interesting part to me that I think is the coolest part that they added is how they have a silent running ability where once in a, once in a while, you're allowed to have your ship move four spots without you saying how far or what direction you moved. And it just totally throws everything out of whack. And it's just it's it's such good fun, but if you are with people who just that the idea of like having having the pressure of keeping track of all that stuff, like if if they will even if you tell them I don't care if you lost track of them, it's totally okay. We're just having fun. Like if if they would not enjoy the pressure of that, then they would not enjoy this game at all. Yep. Can I just tell you, I had the biggest case of FOMO because y'all played this while I had COVID. And the the mm. the Discord chat afterwards made me so jealous. <laughs> we'll play it again. We'll play it again for sure. It no, is I'm gonna, a great I'm gonna, time. I'm gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna just, I'm gonna just burn it at this point. I feel like I feel like we, we we've had. Oh, our yeah, we've had our fun actually. Yeah, you know, <sighs> I don't think anything will live up to the first experience. So I think anything beyond that is a disappointment. Yeah, no. You know, yeah. next time I'll just pretend like I'm not sick and give you guys all COVID. <laughs> that probably would have been a fair a, a fair approach. Show up with some jello shots that I coughed in, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, the other game that we played was 
uh, Eclipse Second Dawn of the Galaxy, oh, yeah. where you actually got to play with uh, all all six players again as well. And that game really rocks. I yep. super enjoy that game as well. It Tim was like, it's going to take 90 minutes. It's like, what, five hours? <laughs> I had to teach the game. <laughs> Honestly, though, we were not, it wasn't that much longer. The, I would say in that game, it seems like the rounds actually overall get shorter as you go. They do. They do. So, uh, which is contrary to almost every other board game. Every other board game, it's like, how am I ever going to accomplish this in five rounds? And then by round four, you're like, well, I'm going to do this and this. And, you know, I've got 10, 10 turns and I've got 40 yeah. meeples. Like this yeah. game is like, well, I, I don't want to spend too much money. My, my economy is rather suffering. So uh, I think I'm... <laughs> I think I'm just going to go ahead and stop after one action. Yep. You 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 often know coming in those later rounds, you know exactly what you're going to do with your action. It comes up to your turn. You do your thing. Or, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> I have my plan for next round already already to go to. <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing nothing but the two things I plan to do, and I'm out. <laughs> so, uh, for those who don't know, we will touch upon Eclipse Second Dawn because it's in our next uh, section of games to talk about. But it's basically just a giant space game that you basically are trying to conquer different, uh, you know, the most amount of the galaxy that you can conquer and you get victory points based on that. And everybody is a different race. All the races have different strengths. Everyone compares it to TI. It's nothing like TI. It's mm-hmm. only like TI in the fact that there's spaceships and alien races. Yep. So yeah, we'll definitely talk more about it in the next, uh, next time we cover, uh, categorical games, I guess, but, uh, Yeah. Well, okay, so I do actually have one other thing to add here because up, it's, it's fresh on my mind because while I was sick, I happened upon this YouTuber slash podcaster. Her name is Liz Davidson. She has a podcast called Beyond Solitaire. She does a lot of solo game stuff, but she teamed up with uh, the people who made Too Many Bones and made like mm. tutorial videos on how to play all of these gear locks. Oh, that's and awesome. And she got me through being sick with COVID. Like I could not focus on anything, but I could listen to her explain things for hours. <laughs> so if you're looking for another podcast to check out or related YouTube content, cannot recommend strongly enough beyond solitaire. She does stuff that's not necessarily like solo games too, but she is fantastic. High quality, good content. Very cool. But yeah, we'll we'll close out our podcast by advertising another podcast, but only because podcast listeners usually have multiple podcasts they listen to. So there's plenty to go around. Podcast. If you're only going to listen to one podcast, obviously listen to ours. If you're going to listen to a second one, you know, Beyond Solitaire. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. pretty great. All right, guys, we'll see you next time. Who knows what we'll be talking about, but it's sure to be a good time. And we'll catch you then. Bye, guys. Guarantees. Bye, guys. No guarantees. <laughs>